I believe God's stirring some things in outrageous ways in the body of Christ right now, expanding the kingdom. And um, I want to kind of walk through just a few really basic ideas that are, uh, in one sense, seemingly simple to comprehend, and in another way, incredibly painful <laughs> to walk out. And so last week we talked a little bit about idolatry, and um, today we're on a, a similar journey where God's just going to take us deeper. So I, I want to point out something as we get started um, have you perceived just a seemingly uh, deeper dimension of the prophetic mantle that God seems to be releasing in the earth? You know, just a sense of hearing the Lord more clearly. Uh, there are just times during the day that I'm just going through my day and I just suddenly sense the nearness of God and it's as if he's there saying, I'm inviting you deeper. I mean, just what a privilege it is for us to be invited deeper by our Heavenly Father, God Almighty. Isn't that incredible? It's just amazing. Now, I want to encourage you, um, the more you spend time with God, the more aware you will become of what he's doing in the earth. And, and this, is, this is a little bit of a, a hard thing to start with, but I, I want to just make sure we understand. You know, for probably three years now, we've been talking about Turn the Page. And it became this idea of a challenge for people to consistently get in the Word of God. And so few Christians actually read the Bible through in our modern day society. Um, and I was shocked, quite honestly, when I started sharing the idea. You just take an old-fashioned Bible, start in the book of Genesis, write the date at the top of the page. Every day, turn the page. Read through Leviticus, you might not understand, but every day, turn the page. You're nourishing your spirit, not just your brain. So your mind gets it sometimes, your mind doesn't sometimes. But if you just be before the author and not merely read the book, but turn the page and be with God, some things start to get unlocked in your life. Something profound begins to happen when you spend consistent time with God. Plus, then you have an heirloom, a Bible that you can hand down generations to come. I've, been, uh, I've added an addendum to this recently where in the morning I wake up and I'm just, I want to listen and pray. So the first thing I do before I get out of bed is just listen for a word for the day. And then when I turn the page, I write the date and I write that word. And uh, the Lord, I just felt like the Lord was telling me something kind of crazy this week. I was sharing it with Tracy as we were talking through some of it yesterday. But I feel there'll be um, a generation that I'll never see that will actually open my Bible and one day read through and the words that I'm writing at the top of the page will make sense in a progression of something they're walking through. How I many know God's big enough to do it? And so that's not my aim. I just want to be you know, sensitive to the Lord. But I just think God's trying to do some things right now that are mind-boggling. And so, so many people came and emerged out of that challenge that said they had never read the Bible through. Some, some people, like in their 60s and 70s, grown up in church, they had never read the Bible through. And out of the turn of the page challenge, it's great. Many have, and now uh, some have done it multiple times, and they're giving their Bibles to all their children and grandchildren and so on. What's hard about this is I want to just challenge you if you heard me say that and you allowed that just to fall on deaf ears and you've really not pursued a deeper sense and awareness of the presence of God, then you're probably not very aware of what's going on prophetically right now in this moment in the body of Christ. 
Turn the page is not the magical key. It's getting alone with God. And that's just a practical way to encourage you on a daily basis to get alone with God, get in his presence. So the good news is it's not too late. It's time to press in. How many of you know it's time to press in? I hope you're sensing from the Lord just a drive to press in, spend time with him, because there's some amazing things starting to unfold. Last week, um, after my message, I, I was walking across to the back door, and Katie Baffery caught me, and she said, Pastor, I just have to show you this, and she showed me her journal, and it was my message, and you know, kind of like bullet points, specific things, and, uh, and I, I said, oh, that's great, you know, you, you took good notes. <laughs> uh, she said, no, this was from my prayer time before I came to church. It was literally the layout, like in many instances, word for word of what God was wanting to speak to the church, and she heard from the Holy Spirit. How many want to hear from God? Make room. Uh, we, we have the opportunity of working with a, a number of different organizations and ministry expressions, churches, pastors and leaders, <clears throat> A few weeks ago, I was online with a group that we work with. This is an apostolic oversight team in the UK. And as we're having this meeting, this conversation, this is what the Zoom meeting looked like for our senior leadership team in that particular uh, organization. And, and there we all are talking. And the lady on the bottom right, her name is Anne. And she suddenly looked at the screen and she said, I'm in the middle top. She said, I, I just, like, it wasn't even really part of the conversation. She said, I just saw a crown on Lawrence's head and then a crown on Chris's head and on Rick's head and on Steve and Esther. And it was like this big crown over all of us as an expression of the priesthood, the royalty that God's calling us to in this next season of the mantle of God. Now you might notice on the bottom left, that's Akhtar. He immediately picked up this, uh, spun around his notebook and here's a zoom in of his picture she, he, he drew this before she said it. Do you understand? He drew what she was seeing and sensing as she was seeing and sensing it, and when she described it, then he showed it. Now, I, I want to walk with God. How about you? Like, I don't want to just come do the religious thing. I, I really want to walk with God. I want to be a person who understands conversation with God as a way of life. I believe that God is trying to take us deeper into a place where our conversations are becoming confirmations that God is speaking to us all. You can hear the voice of God. You simply have to put into practice the voice of God. Um, I walked into a room recently and, and somebody uh, was behind me, and I said, hi, how are you? Or, sorry, I was behind them. I said, hi, how are you? And they immediately said, hi, pastor. And I said, well, how'd you know it was me? You didn't even see me. And they said, I've had a lot of practice listening to your voice. How do you hear the voice of God in the midst of the crowd of voices in your life? Have you had a lot of practice listening to his voice? So you and I are designed to live in the deeper reality of God, and that's why we're going deeper in this whole understanding. We were designed to live in the deeper reality of God. This is a more certain um, reality. More certain reality of eternity as opposed to the temporal world that we live in. We, we tend to focus all of our attention in this temporal life that we have that is described in the Bible as a mist that appears briefly and vanishes. And then we live forever in all eternity. 
And so trying to get the picture of those two perspectives is vitally important, and I'm going to take us deep into that today. But recognize this, the more certain reality of eternity actually gave birth to the temporal realm. The Bible says in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. In other words, it's the eternal reality of God's truth that is going to remain forever. And it is essential that you and I learn how to build our lives and put into practice the conclusions of who we are. We build that on the eternal reality of God's word and God's truth. It's hard to do that when you don't know what God's word says. That's why you need to be in the word. And again, not merely reading the book, but learning to sit with the author practicing the voice of the Spirit. You're reading and then something stands out to you and you just pause and you just say, Lord, I think that might be you. Just help me to explore this a little bit. You just stop for a moment and you just have this interaction with God. Do you understand you were born for this? You were designed for the relationship with God that I'm describing to you right now. So we're living in this prophetic moment, uh, prophetic moment where a lot is starting to happen, but what I'm realizing is it's the most basic expression of the deeper waters that God's wanting to introduce us to. There's, there's a much deeper place that God's wanting us to walk to. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this guy, but uh, like he, ha he was praying and God said, hey, I'm going to give you this address and I want you to go find a dude, like the dude's in the house and he's blind and you're going to go over and you're going to pray for him and he's going to get healed. And the guy went to the address, had a word of knowledge of the address, went to the, went to the house, prayed for the blind guy, the blind guy saw. Anybody ever hear that story before? It's in the book of Acts. That's Saul I'm talking about. And so these are biblical realities that we read about in Scripture. And I just want you to know, Jesus said, the stuff that I've done, you're going to do even more than that. In the last days, your sons and daughters are going to prophesy. What he's saying is in the last days, I'm going to begin to release a deeper sense of prophetic waters. And I'm going to activate the church in a realm that's way beyond religion that they've ever understood. God's taking us into a new dimension. We need to learn to put that into practice, make room for that. I'm hearing a number of different voices now talk about the massive harvest that is about to arrive. Um, there, are, there are now prophecies that the church is about to double in size, meaning as many believers are as there are in the world, it's about to be a landslide Jesus movement, and that's going to double. Are you ready for that? Because I'm talking about your friends, your family, your coworkers, your neighbors, the people in our society. Come on, they're coming to Jesus. We're believing for this. And with that type of a movement comes great responsibility. And, and are we prepared for that? Because if our hearts aren't ready, then that kind of a movement can ruin our lives. I mean, no, God won't entrust enough into your care that you can't handle it. And so he's trying to prepare us with a perspective of his eternal reality so that we can sustain the temporal lusts that come with those types of movements and success. Mike Bickle shared how he started this New Year's Eve event, and every year there would be people gathering to pray in the new year. And it just exploded. It became viral in many respects locally and then online. And, and one year they actually had 25,000 people 
showing up to pray in the new year. That's how many were on site. And then in addition to that, nations of the world streaming in online. How many of you would be okay if God did something like that? But something interesting happened. First, I want you to understand what happens. 25,000 people show up. The offering potential is out the roof. 25,000 people giving in an offering, how many know that would create a substantial flow of income? It would create, do you know how many Twitter followers and Instagram followers you would suddenly have if you were leading a movement? 25,000 people suddenly started showing up under your care. I mean, do you understand? Profile would increase, finance space would increase, notoriety, influence would increase, and after 25,000 people showing up, Mike Bickle, uh, in a place of prayer, hears the Lord say these words, listen carefully to what I'm about today, to say, shut this thing down, it's becoming an idol. Here's, here's the question I have, and I'm asking this question to me probably more than I am to you. Can you handle what God desires to entrust into your care without becoming intoxicated by that which the world has to offer through those scenarios that come into your life? I really do want to go deeper. I know God's wanting to increase a level of influence, impact, um, you know, it was kind of wild when all this corona hit all of a sudden, like the first Sunday that we didn't meet, I don't know if you realize, we had more than 2,000 live viewers online. Like there just begins to be a, a shaking going on and people start looking. Uh, I mentioned it in this service last week, but a, a man that came to church last week is just from the neighborhood, never really been to church, and he said, man, I just, with all this going on, I just need to know more about God, and so I didn't know where to go. I sat in the parking lot for 15 minutes trying to talk myself out of coming into the building. I mean, you know, God's just stirring some things up. Are you ready for this? Because I, I just, I, I believe I'm ready for it, yet I, I sense such a deep challenge that we need to learn to pay attention rather than, and this is an important phrase, you might want to write it down, remember it, may we never allow our ambition to outrun our anointing. Isaiah chapter 33, verses 5 and 6, the Lord is exalted. As I read this, let's not just get to the point of a message. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to breathe fresh inspiration over his word. The Lord is exalted, for he dwells on high. He will fill Zion with his justice and righteousness. He will be the sure foundation for your times, a rich store of salvation and wisdom and knowledge. Would you all say this last portion of the scripture with me, please? The fear of the Lord is the key to this treasure. <laughs> that is such a beautiful portion of scripture. We're going to just kind of camp around these two verses a lot for a season of time and understand a little more of what this is really about. But here's the bottom line. To live in the Spirit is to embrace the realities of God, and to embrace the realities of God is to abandon the enemies of God. All that makes sense. I just felt yesterday the Lord was saying, you know, don't, don't just preach into your normal preaching rhythm. I think there's a new rhythm that's come upon me. 
I believe there's a new rhythm that's come upon you. I believe there's a new rhythm that's come upon the church. You know, my communication abilities allow me to kind of spin everybody up and get everybody excited. And I, I just felt the Lord was just saying, that's not my responsibility right now. My responsibility is to make room, make way. Sometimes I'm getting moving in a certain direction and the Lord just says, stop. And it's just like a seed of his word goes deep in that moment when I step back and allow him to have his way. So I want to just challenge you to really catch the spirit behind some of the statements that the Lord's stirring in me to bring as a part of our meal at the table of the Lord uh, today. To live by the spirit, we must choose to embrace the realities of God. And when we embrace the realities of God, we abandon the enemies of God. In other words, we see more clearly the enemies to our soul. Today I'm going to talk to you about humility. One of the greatest enemies to your soul is pride, self-sufficiency, arrogance. And I believe the Holy Spirit's going to help unveil some things and allow us to see some things maybe that we've not been able to see before. So just from a framework standpoint, humility is the foundation for every good attitude you could ever possibly have. Pride is the foundation for every bad attitude you could ever possess. So I'm gonna give you a few indicators and I want you just to think about, uh, let, me, let me just ask the question, how many of you in here struggle with pride from time to time? Just raise your hand. I mean, be proud, raise high, you know. <laughs> We're struggling with pride. <laughs> here, here are a few indicators that kind of help us navigate through and, and get a perspective on this. Humble people are great listeners because they're genuinely concerned about people other than themselves. Humble people. This is just a good indicator for you. Maybe see a perspective of this that you might not have looked at. But humble people are great listeners while proud people tend to only talk about themselves. In fact, their focus is to build themselves up in your mind so much so that you can feel good about them, so much so that they have no concern whatsoever with who you really are. That's an absolute vacuum of humility, and a total expression of a wrong pursuit of pride. Uh, you know that you're contending with pride when self-sufficiency makes prayer your last resort rather than your first response. You know, we live in a very capable society. You can do things that you don't need God's help with. When you need another car, you just go make payments and get another car. Have you ever thought about asking God to provide another car? You know, when you, you, you need whatever it is, I mean, we are just in a situation in our society where we are so capable on so many like I need a I need to marry somebody so I'm going to you know I'm going to figure this thing out on eHarmony or or you know I mean I mean I'm not against that you you may do that you know maybe the Lord will lead you to do that but pray about what you are supposed to do I will tell you clubbing is a bad place to go find a mate this is just a little FYI <laughs> I don't know why I can't meet anybody who really loves the Lord. Well, where are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Maybe you heard that hymn. 
Mark 9, 33-35, Jesus asked the disciples, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way they argued about who was the greatest. What kind of argument is that? I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Both of y'all are fools. I'm the greatest. I mean, what does this look like? They're arguing about the greatest. So, verse 35, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. So, if we're really honest, we still have this argument about who is the greatest. If we're honest, the spirit of comparison exists in our generation by way of social media more than any previous generation. We're constantly trying to present something to be the greatest. This argument is going on. So as we look at this in the pursuit of humility, I just want to say to you all, and it might take you by shock. Uh, you know, you might be surprised. You might be a little shocked at this, but I just want to say to you, I want to be great. I, in fact, I want to be greater than you all. How am I doing in my pursuit of humility so far? The truth is, I'm doing quite well if I understand what Jesus is trying to reveal. And I love this because when we read in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, Jesus says, whoever wants to become great Whoever wants, he, he didn't say don't try to become great. In fact, he not only accommodated it, he then defined it. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. Jesus didn't say don't pursue greatness. Jesus redefined what greatness truly is. You were born for greatness. Those disciples had something emerging in them that they were aligning and defining from a world's perspective of the pursuit of greatness, and that's what caused them to malfunction with what Jesus was trying to reveal. Then he straightened it out and said, you are born for greatness, but the pursuit of greatness should be a heavenly pursuit, not an earthly pursuit. If you want to be great, learn to serve. So let me say again, I want to be great. How about you. I hope I'm the greatest of all of us because I've learned a depth of servanthood in my following the example of our Lord, our Savior, our risen King Jesus Christ. He set that example. The humble pursuit of greatness drives us to serve God and others. The prideful pursuit of greatness drives us to serve God ourselves. Uh, I've done several of your weddings in the room here, and many times in the wedding I'll say this statement because it's one of my favorite things to share, particularly in a day where we're tying the knot. And that is there's nothing more painful than two selfish people in a relationship, and there's nothing more beautiful than two servants in love. And if my goal is to find someone who makes me happy, then my goal is a worldly pursuit of finding somebody that I can use rather than a heavenly pursuit of finding the person God's called me to love. So this can get convoluted pretty fast. How many of you agree? It's almost like you're doing this tightrope 
you know, over here, over, oh, where is it? How do I find it? Sometimes it is very difficult to discover. And that's kind of the nature of pride in general. It's a slippery little critter. Francis Chan, you know, one of the most humble speakers and leaders of our day. Most of you know who he is just by mention of his name. Just amazing, humble leader. He began to, move the, uh, began to lead these prayer movements in various cities. Go into the large cities and lead people in prayer and basically exposing strongholds, praying into what God's wanting to, to do and release and reveal. And he went into one community, one city, and the church leaders and the city leaders came to Francis Chan and they said, we are ready for a move of God, but a stronghold is holding back the move of God. What is that stronghold? You've been here praying. What is the stronghold? Francis Chan said, I have the answer. His name is Yahweh. And this is what he said, God is resisting your pride. I'm going to take you on a little sidebar, because this is a really important sidebar. I've grown weary with the doomsday prophets who have emerged in the day in which we live and blamed all the sinful bad people for all the problems in this land. And if the sinful bad people don't repent, then God's going to pour out his wrath on the, on the nation. I, I've grown weary with that. Because what I'm reading in Scripture is that the problem in the world has never been the abundance of darkness. The problem in the world has always been the absence of light. And Scripture says, if my people who are called by my name will Oh, humble, there it is. Humble themselves and pray. Turn from their wicked ways. I'll heal their land. You know, it's easy to blame somebody else for the problems that we see rather than take responsibility. I don't know if you understand or not, but there was this guy named Jonah, and he went to a really bad place. If there was like the worst place on earth in this day, like they would... Uh, shish kebab people and fillet their skin off their body live until they died. This was really bad. And so that's why when God said, go tell them the truth of who I am, he was a little reluctant to do so. Uh, and so he finally lands there. He finally comes into alignment with his assignment. I just sense the Holy Spirit saying to me right now, some of you in this moment are shifting into an alignment with your God-given assignment spiritually, Deep within you, allow the Holy Spirit to do this work in you. As I say, when this man of God came into alignment with his assignment, the capital city of paganism in his day turned to God in one single day. The whole community. He could have said, those horrible people, that's not what happened. Let's, let's, let's in unity and agreement clap that in and declare right now. We're coming into alignment with God, what God desires to do in the world around us through our surrendered, available lives. <laughs> Lift up your heads, O ye gates, that the King of glory may come in and transform the world. You and I are the gates, Psalms 24. We are the gates through which the King enters and transforms society. When the gates shut up the gate, and blame somebody else, then nothing is going to happen. 
Francis Chan says, you're looking at all the darkness going on in the city, putting blame everywhere, but God is resisting your pride, and that's what's holding back the move of God in your city. See, pride is so concealed that we tend to be more deceived by it than we are aware of it, and we defend our position of pride, not realizing we're fighting against God in doing so, and we feel so justified. Is anybody with me today? Jonathan Edwards said this, pride is the worst viper that is in the heart and greatest disturber of the soul's sweet peace and sweet communion with Christ. It is the most difficult sin to root out and the most hidden, secret, and deceitful of all lusts. We really have to work in our lives at weakening pride and cultivating humility. So there I've laid it all out for you. Like I have no more description for you on uh, on pride. I have no more verses for you. No more analogies, stories, illustrations. I've laid it out. We we get the picture. Everybody just say ouch. <laughs> we get the picture. Have a great day. God bless you. You know, many times in church, that's the problem. We're really good at explaining what and really don't help people understand how. So let me give you a how, just a teaching moment how. I sense a father moment coming on here, like our heavenly father coming into this room, sitting down with you as a son or a daughter, just as if he's reaching over and just taking you by the hand and saying, daughter, I love you. I care about you. I want to walk you through this. Son, I love you. I don't want you to walk this this road, this path of pride keeping you from what is my best. So I read in the scripture in the book of Hebrews where tremendous persecution took place. I'm I'm reading a book right now called The Heavenly Man. Anybody read that? Um, It's gruesome. It's a... A man that basically God used through the 80s and after to launch and build church in China when it was horribly, um, I mean, he was horribly tortured as a result. I'm, I'm listening to it on Audible, and yesterday I'm folding clothes. I'm standing in our living room, and I've got the book playing, and it says, and they took a needle and shoved it under his middle finger, and, and my wife's there. She's like, ah, turn this off. What are you listening to? But I mean, it's like, it just goes on and on and on and on with all the crazy things this guy endured. And How many of you believe that the glory, the Bible describes our suffering connected to our glory, how many of you believe that the glory this man will experience in eternity will be greater as a result of the suffering that he experienced in this moment of temporal life? Now, now think about what we're talking about here because life is a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes and eternity lasts forever. So the suffering that appears for just a little while and vanishes actually then positions us for an eternal experience of glory, an eternal reward, the Bible describes. That's why when we read in the book of Hebrews, it says that like people watch their family members get sawed in half alive. And, and then they were beaten, and then when they were released, the Bible actually says they refused to be released. 
we need to let this shape a little bit of our thinking because what I'm telling you right now is so far removed from the contemporary mindset of the gospel little g that we have been given to in the church world that you and I live in where my best life seems to be God's greatest concern if you listen to a lot of modern day preaching today. He's really more concerned with true life than he is with temporal life being grand. He wants you to experience the value of true life. And that's why these people got it. They were living in an eternal reality that the world around them did not understand. The church of our generation has been so evangelized by the world, we've lost sight of the eternal reality of God. And there they are. Nobody could understand. What are you doing? You've been beaten within an inch of your life. You're being released and you're staying. You're not, you're not taking the opportunity to go and be free. And the Bible says because they wanted an eternal glory for themselves, they remained and refused to be released. Now, I'm saying all this because we all need to clearly understand that suffering by persecution produces glory for all eternity. We're all in agreement with that after my little three-minute rant, right? It makes sense. We understand it. It's biblical. Suffering as a result of persecution produces glory for eternity. The reason that's all important is because we, in a nation that really doesn't understand persecution yet, say what you want, but when I'm describing what I'm describing, we've not started to experience what true persecution is. But, but we understand in a society where we don't understand that kind of persecution, I want to make this statement to you. Not only does suffering by persecution produce a glory that lasts for eternity, but suffering by consecration produces a glory that lasts for eternity. Suffering by consecration. We need to understand consecration today. If you really want to grow in humility, then buffet your body. You really want to grow in humility, learn to serve other people. If you really want to grow in humility, Learn worship as consecration in the way we gather as the church. I realize it's not convenient to gather as the church sometimes. That's the best time to gather. You heard me earlier when we sat down at the table and I was the hungriest at the table and I said, I have to be the one to pray. You know why I did that? Because it was a greater sacrifice when I had a greater hunger to pause, and I paused an extra long time. I'm sure the kids thought, okay, Dad, we got you. But I paused a long time because I just wanted to go deeper in an appetite that that table couldn't possess, but the table of the Lord was what I was pursuing. So suffering by consecration, fasting and praying, I... I <clears throat> I went there a little bit last week, but, but I, you know, it's just it, it's something that you need to get and understand by way of revelation. Consecration by way of giving. <clears throat> when we bring our tithes and our offering before the Lord, 
And it's easy because we have an abundance. It's one thing, but when we actually go through a difficult time and we say we're going to honor the Lord with this, it's a deeper expression of worship that comes from a more consecrated space. How many want God to entrust everything he wants to do in our generation into our hands, then we have to hold everything we have now with open hands, honoring him and worshiping him in a space, in a place of consecration. I'm going to have to ask the worship team to just go ahead and come. So some of you um, are going to, you know, your action point this week, the, the challenge for the week is to spend some time fasting and praying. Spend some time fasting and praying and ask God to speak to you about a consecrated life as you reflect on the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, what this looks like for me, Wednesday is my fasting day. Sometimes Tuesday because we do Tuesday morning prayer. Um, but my morning time is a consecrated time. Like, if I'm really tired, I just get up earlier. I heard this guy talking about he was going to fast for the first time he was going to fast. And like he got up in the morning and he prayed and immediately his stomach, anybody ever been there before? And as soon as you decide to fast, somebody invites you to a steak dinner. And he had an invitation then to a meal that was going to be a really great meal for lunch and, and, um, and he wasn't able to do it because he was fasting that day and then that evening he had to go to a meeting in a hotel and, and when he walked through the hotel, there's a restaurant and his stomach is just like... And he's, uh, I mean, all day long, he just kept thinking about food. All day long, he just kept thinking about food. And by the end of the day, he just thought, man, this is crazy. Fasting is crazy. And, and he, he, he had a conversation with himself. And he said, self, I just want you to know, I heard all day long just how hungry you were. And it's consumed me in my thinking about how hungry I've been. And in light of that, we're going to do this again tomorrow because I'm putting you in your place. Consecration. I don't know what this looks like for you this morning. And again, I, I, I know we can go crazy with this. I, I'm, I'm just saying to you, listen loud and clear. In fact, I'm going to make this point so clearly. I'll, I'm going to ask the music to pause just while I make this statement. Beware of legalism. Okay? When you resolve your consecration conclusion... Don't put that on me or anybody else. Your cross fits your shoulder. See, here's the problem, particularly, uh, again, in the church that's been evangelized by the world. Accomplishment breeds judgmentalism. I'm getting choked up about this. Like for real. <clears throat> I pray that I can finish. <clears throat> Accomplishment breeds judgmentalism. If I accomplish something financially, I judge people who are poor. Get a job. Rise up out of your situation. You don't know that person's situation. <clears throat> if I accomplish something with my health, then I judge people who are overweight. You don't know their struggle. This is what I've learned. <clears throat> the 
pays to be kind to every person you meet because you'd have no idea what kind of fight they're in. So when you resolve what your area of consecration may be, don't lay that on somebody else. Beware of legalism. We can have distinction without having to have division if we'll learn to love each other in the process. So I challenge you to take some time and really surrender to him. And here's the, here's the real bottom line conclusion today. Nobody can stand in a place of arrogance when they look upon the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why your action point says, pray and ask the Lord, fast pray, ask the Lord for consecration while you look at the cross. So come on, let's stand together. Let's fix our eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ, this King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, so powerful that the earth became his footstool, gave everything up to come and die so that our lives could be awesome. And God really wants you to have an awesome life. But that truth, you remember from a few years ago, big focus, a long time. How many of you know God wants your life to be awesome? That truth comes with a trick. Because God doesn't want you to pursue an awesome life for yourself. He wants you to provide an awesome life for others. And that's what will make your life awesome. Lord, your kingdom just is filled with all these simple principles that are somehow very difficult to apply. <clears throat> Living in the fallen earth suit that we live in, we resist humility and we embrace pride. But I thank you. Your word clearly says, who will rescue us from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for the love of Jesus, the blood of Christ, the power of God, his divine power. Second Peter 1 has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, Lord, you've given us your very great and precious promises so that through them we may participate in the divine nature of God and escape the corruption of this world caused by evil desires. Therefore, we will make every effort to add to our faith goodness and goodness knowledge and knowledge self-control and self-control perseverance and perseverance brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness love. For if we increase these uh, for if we possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep us from being ineffective and unproductive in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord. <clears throat> Thank you for the power of your spirit. We just reflect on and look at the cross of Christ right now as we surrender ourselves more completely to you. Thank you, Holy Spirit for the work you're doing deep in our lives, the gentle love that you have for each and every one of us, the willingness to be patient while we work through the things we're working through in our own brain as you try to capture our heart more readily today. Come on, would you just surrender your heart to him? Whether you're on campus, online, maybe you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus. Would you just surrender your heart to Jesus today? Maybe you've been walking with God for years and there's a chamber that suddenly got unlocked that you realize never has been in his possession. Will you just surrender your heart to him? Lord, we just surrender our hearts to you. We ask you, Lord. We invite you. Come. Do what only you can do deep within our hearts. In Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for your presence, Lord. 
It's in your presence that we begin to experience the outrageous love of God, the phenomenal grace that's poured out from heaven to transform our lives. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord.